If you would, grab a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark 10, that's where we'll begin in our time of study this morning. Mark chapter 10. We'll be moving around quite a bit, but uh, that's where we'll start the moving. It's good to see you this morning, and we're always wanting to take a moment and appreciate, uh, express our appreciation to our visitors. Thank you for being here. We're glad that you're here. We want you to feel welcome. We want to help you in any way that we can uh, to get to know God better. If there's something that we can do to help you, please let us know about that. I also want to say before I begin uh, to the high school and junior high young people, uh, we're having our devotional this afternoon at our house at 5 o'clock, so be there. All the cool kids are doing it. You want to be there too. Uh, we're going to have an awesome devotional and uh, have a lot of fun, and uh, so looking forward to that. Mark chapter 10 and verse 13. Mark 10 and verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took him in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So our theme for this year, what we've been studying throughout the year, we've called the unstoppable kingdom. The kingdom, that term that the Bible uses to describe God establishing his rule, God bringing peace and eternal life to his people. And we've covered a lot of ground this year. We have talked about the idea of the kingdom itself and the idea of how the kingdom has come and yet not come, how the kingdom is the message of Jesus. We took some time and we talked about how Satan attacked the kingdom in the first century and how he attacks the kingdom today. And we spent the last several months talking about how Jesus explains the kingdom by using parable language, comparing the kingdom to things that we know and understand. We've covered a lot of ground, in other words, but we're not quite done. The year is not done, for one, although we're getting closer. And we have some more things that I think would be helpful to study together. And so I wanted to begin in a place like Mark chapter 10, where the disciples rebuke people for bringing their children to Jesus. And Jesus says, don't hinder the children, let the children come to me. But the reason he says so is a little bit odd. He says in verse 14 here, to such belongs the kingdom of God. And in verse 15, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So what I want to do for a few minutes this morning is talk about how Jesus uses this kind of language quite a bit. In fact, many of the New Testament writers do. To talk about the kingdom, not just as a reality, but they talk about the kingdom as something that you have to get into and that there are entrance requirements for the kingdom. And when Jesus talks like this, almost always, like in this text and in others that we'll study this morning, it leaves his audience baffled. Because the people who get into the kingdom are not the people anyone is expecting. And that raises some interesting ideas for us. For one, it's intriguing to say, well, who is it that gets to get into the kingdom? But the secondary question, which might even be more pressing for you and me, is how do we know that we are going to enter the kingdom? And so those are the things I want us to think about for a few minutes this morning. We're going to just call this, who enters the kingdom? So let's spend some time examining Jesus' answer to that question. The first answer that I would give is that Jesus says, these are the people who enter the kingdom. We'll just call them the humble. That's the thrust of Jesus' emphasis on children here. Look with me again in verse 14, Mark 10 and verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. To such, I don't think he's saying that the kingdom is only for children. What he is saying is 
to such, to people like these children, the kingdom belongs. And then in verse 15, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So he says specifically it's about receiving the kingdom. How willing are we to listen to and accept the good news that God has sent his son to bring his rule into the world and to save his people? So if we accept that, if we will listen to it, if we will receive it like a child, a trusting response, a sincere response, an earnest response, it makes us like children, it makes us the kind of people who will enter the kingdom. But you're probably aware of the fact that this is not the only time Jesus uses children to talk about the kingdom. I want to look at the other place where he does that. It's in Matthew chapter 18. Let's turn over there. Matthew 18. Because again here, he's going to use it to illustrate humility. Matthew chapter 18, to talk about how children represent the kind of people who will enter the kingdom. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 1. Matthew 18 and verse 1, it says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So their question is about the kingdom. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? Because they are after prime plum positions in the kingdom. I don't think they have a good understanding at this stage of what the kingdom is, or what it's going to look like. But they want to know who is the greatest. And Jesus, this time, he calls a child to himself and says, whoever humbles himself like this child. Look at verse 3. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom. So he says, don't worry about being greatest in the kingdom unless you change, unless your version might say something like be converted, unless you turn, unless something shifts in you. You will never enter the kingdom. Those are harsh words to Jesus' own disciples. But he says, the way you're headed, you're not going to enter the kingdom. You need to have a change in your disposition. Then verse 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom. So here are the disciples. They are saying, how can I get to be the greatest and the best? How can I be better than everybody else? And Jesus says, you're not even going to get in the kingdom that way. You will never enter the kingdom that way. Only when you humble yourself will you enter the kingdom. Who enters the kingdom? The humble enter the kingdom. It may be that Jesus' point here is not just that God won't accept proud people. I think it may be the opposite. That God is saying proud people won't accept God. They're not going to be humble enough to submit themselves to God's reign in their lives. They're not going to obey God. They're not going to follow God. They're not going to suffer for God. So they can't belong in the kingdom unless they are changed into a different kind of person, more like a little child. And so when Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, you remember the very first thing he says is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom belongs to the humble. Now being poor in spirit is talking about our ability to acknowledge our inability. That we are saying, yes, I know I am broken and insufficient spiritually. I am humble before God. I'm willing to accept His leadership. Those are the people who enter the kingdom. The kingdom is theirs. Look with me in John chapter 3. I want to show you a real life example of this. John chapter 3. I said earlier 
that when Jesus talks like this about the kingdom, very often the people who hear him are baffled. They don't understand why he talks like this. Look in John 3 with me. John 3, you'll see just what I'm talking about with the baffling. John 3 and verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus with a confession. He says, We believe you've come from God. And Jesus says to him, All right, not good job, not you're right, you're on the right track. What he says to him is, Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. Verse 3. And then verse 5. Unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is a blunt response. Here is a man who is a teacher and a ruler of the Jews. He is an influential religious person. And he comes saying, hey, we've got faith in you, Jesus. And Jesus says, that's not enough. He says, what will enter the kingdom is a heart that is born again, born from above. You need to change, Nicodemus. You are not sufficient the way you are. Now, that baffles Nicodemus. Do you notice in verse 4? How can this be? Can I go back into my mom and be born again? Or down in verse 9, how can these things be? He's baffled. Because for Nicodemus, this isn't the way it works. For Nicodemus, and for most Jews in this time, the way it worked is when the kingdom comes, all the Jews get in. Everybody's in. It doesn't matter if you're good or bad, humble or proud. Everybody gets in, but especially the Jewish leaders, right? I mean, these are the guys who are teaching. They're preaching. Everybody looks up to them. They're making decisions for the nation. If they're not getting in, who does? And Jesus says, the humble get in. The kind of people who are willing to accept they are not sufficient the way they are. They need God to change them. They need to be born again. They need to become different people. So they're willing to accept, I'm not sufficient the way I am. And what happens when someone is born again is they are now, they're now a child. They're now a baby. They have to grow. They have to become different. There is humility in this picture of being born again. Jesus says this a little later, Matthew chapter 21, verse 31. Jesus said to them, talking again to the Jewish leaders, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. So he says, who goes into the kingdom of God? Well, these tax collectors and prostitutes, not because they're on virtue of their morality and the decisions that they've made morally, but he says they have responded to the message of God. They believed John And he says, but you, you were stubborn. And even when you saw it later, you didn't change because you were too proud to accept the message. So who enters the kingdom? The people who are humble enough to believe God's message and allow it to transform their lives. But really, that takes us into the next point because it's not enough to say I'm humble. There has to be that change, doesn't there? We have to be born again. We have to accept the message. We have to obey. And so to answer this question, who enters the kingdom... 
I think Jesus would also give this answer. The obedient enter the kingdom. We have to obey God. Now, I know that's not particularly surprising. What's surprising is how Jesus applies that. Just like we talked about, Jesus has already said to a lot of the religious leaders, you're not getting in the way you are. When he says this, he says there are a lot of people who are fooling themselves about obedience. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 21. Matthew 7 and verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Notice in verse 21 that this is about entering the kingdom. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So it is not those who claim a relationship with Jesus or who claim good works. It is only those who actually do the will of the Father. It's not enough to say good things. We have to do them. It's not enough to say good things. We actually have to do the will of the Father. There is obedience that is required. It is a necessity to enter the kingdom. So I don't know about you, but that verse is a sobering verse to me because it speaks to our capacity for self-deception and justification, that we can begin to think we're doing just fine. You know, we say the right things. We, see, we think we do the right things, but we're not actually obeying the will of God. And so we settle for something far less than real obedience. And Jesus is saying, look at the stakes of those decisions. The people who enter the kingdom are the obedient. So, In its context, I really believe warnings like these are really focused on the Jewish leaders, the people that everyone looked up to. And I want to show you a place to see that in Matthew chapter 21. In Matthew 21, we've already talked a little bit in this chapter about the the passage about the tax collectors and prostitutes. But here there is a, a parable, a story Jesus tells about a vineyard and how he gives the vineyard to some tenants and the tenants are supposed to give the fruit of the vineyard to his servants, but instead they treat the servants poorly and they end up killing his own son. And so at the end of the parable, he says, of course, the owner is going to come, destroy the tenants, and give the vineyard to others. Listen to how Jesus applies that. Matthew 21 and verse 42. Matthew 21, 42. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The kingdom, he says, will be taken away from you. Verse 43. And it will be given to a people producing its fruits. God deserves a people who don't kill his messengers. God deserves a people who will listen when he talks. God deserves a people who will obey him. And he says, I'm going to make that people and I'm going to give them the kingdom. Those are the people who will enter my kingdom. It will not be by virtue of your family line. It will not be because you can trace all the way back to Abraham. It will be because you are bearing the fruits of the kingdom. You are obedient to God. 
God will create this people and give them the kingdom. And this passage really stresses that that is an ongoing expectation of obedience. That it's not enough to say, there were some things I did in the past that were pretty good, that obeyed God. It's not enough to say, I have a past relationship. You know, a long time ago, I made this commitment. Lord, Lord. It is instead an ongoing obedience where God speaks and we continue to follow. Jesus says, come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. And that list goes on. When there is a need, we meet it because we are obedient to God. And in serving others, we serve Jesus. We are an obedient people. And he says, that's the reason that you inherit the kingdom. Who enters the kingdom? The obedient enter the kingdom. That also works the other way. Would you go with me to 1 Corinthians 6? There are people that are threatened because they are becoming disobedient to God. You see that, for example, in 1 Corinthians 6, although it's certainly not the only place. 1 Corinthians 6. So in this context, Paul is concerned about in Corinth the fact that brothers are not getting along, and instead of settling their disputes within the group, they are instead going to outside judges, to the Gentiles and to courts. And so listen to what he says, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 7. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous, that word is actually wrongdoers, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, I, I want you to see the connection here. This is important. He says, you are wronging one another. Verse 8, you wrong and defraud one another. And don't you know that people who wrong others, wrongdoers, verse 9, do not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't you know you're acting like people who won't go into the kingdom? And he warns them. There are all kinds of people who won't enter the kingdom. Those who are not obedient to God. Those who have made choices in rebellion against God. You don't want to be one of those people. Now, the idea here is not that we've never done some of these things listed in verses 9 and 10. Because we can find our names and we can attach our names to some of the practices there. The question is, do we continue at present in these behaviors? That's what verse 11 is about. In verse 11, he says specifically, such were some of you. That's who you used to be. But if you are obedient to God, that's not who you are anymore. That's not defining your life. No one can look at you and say, you are still the person you used to be. You are now obedient to God where you were disobedient before. What's at stake here is entrance into the kingdom. Now, all of these teachings that we've been examining are given as warnings to religious people. They are spoken to religious Jews. They are spoken to religious Christians. They warn us that there, there just seems to be this tendency in us to lose our focus on obeying God. 
That's a fascinating study and a fascinating thought. Why that would be, why we tend to move away from obedience, where initially we want to do what God says, but over time we just sort of begin to trust in ourselves and become proud or become hard or numb or whatever it is. But it is a warning that the kingdom is for the obedient. But I also want to say that while it is intended as a warning, it's not intended as one of those warnings that's there to paralyze us, where we're constantly second-guessing and worrying, am I obedient? Am I doing enough? Is God pleased with me? It is instead telling us that the kingdom is about wanting to seek God's will and God's heart, wanting to know his thoughts and his purposes. And when God says something, we happily oblige him. We want to serve him. Kingdom people are the people whose hearts beat with God's. People whose plans are God's plans. People whose character is God's character. They are obedient to God because they want more and more to grow into the person God wants them to be. So the obedient are those who enter the kingdom. And the last category I want to show you from the teachings of Jesus particularly is the committed. The committed. Let's look in Luke chapter 9. The committed are the ones who enter the kingdom. Luke chapter 9. I really believe that if we, if we can process this idea, it will help us make some sense of some rather challenging pieces of Jesus' teaching that we'll examine in just a moment. Luke chapter 9. I want to read the last two verses here. Luke 9 and verse 61, 62. Luke 9 and verse 61 says, Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my house, at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's pretty clear Jesus is making an example out of this guy. But the point he's making is important. He is saying, you can't start this and look back. You can't start serving, trying to enter the kingdom, and then go back after something that you used to do or wanted before. Be committed. Don't look away. Don't turn your focus to other things. Keep going forward. And he likens it to plowing and looking back. I don't know a lot about plowing, but I do know about lawn mowing, and I think it's pretty much the same process, at least in this, in this way. That is, if you're mowing your lawn and you're trying to make a straight line and you start turning around and looking backwards, you're not going to do a very good job. That's the point. You can't look back and go forward. And Jesus is saying, if you want to enter the kingdom, go all in for the kingdom. Now, what's he talking about? Verse 61, the man says, let me first say farewell to those at my home. He says, no, I've got some other things to do first. I want to follow you, but... And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. That's not the way this works. Jesus is driving him toward a decision, a priority decision that will measure his commitment. Just how much do you want this? And so when Jesus talks about the kingdom, almost always he uses that word first. Seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom is a priority-setting commitment. And what that commitment is going to mean, please hear me, is always a disposition that is willing to set aside things that will not get me closer to God. I have to put things aside. Can I remind you of how that sounds in Jesus' mouth? It sounds like this. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It's better to enter life with one hand than having two hands to go to hell. 
If you want to be perfect, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. Whoever does not hate father or mother is not worthy of me. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Don't fear the one who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but fear him who can cast both body and soul into hell. You cannot serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve God and money. One thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part. We could go on and on here. You get the idea where Jesus continually says, no, this is the way. There are not two ways. You can't do this and. It is instead something that you must be fully committed to. Jesus wants us to be committed to the degree that we will not put other things in the place where only the kingdom belongs. Those are the people who enter the kingdom. Those who are committed, who are full-throated in going forward for Christ. That's what Jesus is teaching us. In fact, I want to show you a couple of places. I want to show you one good and one bad example. It's both, both of them are in Matthew chapter 19. Let's turn over there. Matthew chapter 19. I want to start in verse 10. Now, in verse 10, the disciples are reacting to Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce. And what they say is a little bit surprising. It's a little bit more surprising how Jesus responds to them. Matthew 19 and verse 10, the disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. So they're saying, this is so challenging. Maybe it would be better not to get married in the first place if there's not really an easy out for marriage. Verse 11, But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. So he says, not everybody can can just not marry. Not everybody can accept that saying. But he says, there are some classes of people. Now, you might understand eunuch here is a metaphor for the sexual desire. And the interest in the sexual desire that would lead one to marriage. And so he says, you know, there are different kinds of people. There are some people who are born without that kind of desire. And then there are some people who go through things in life that lead them that way. Especially in ancient times where there would be some kinds of mutilation and that kind of thing. Where they couldn't uh, do anything about that later on. But, But what I want to highlight is in verse 12 he says, There are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He's saying there are people who have subjugated their sexual desire. They have altered that part of their lives and said, that is not how I'm going to live. And they have given it up for the kingdom. Jesus is not saying that's a requirement. All my people have to give up their sexual desire. What he is saying is, that's devotion. That's the kind of committed person who seeks the kingdom. That's the kind of commitment that the Gospels are full of. People who give up their jobs and leave behind their families to follow Jesus. They suffer ridicule and shame because they are committed. They don't quit because it's hard. Those are the people of the kingdom. And I don't know about you, but it leaves me with a question. What will my commitment to Jesus mean that I have to give up? But that's also why wealth is a problem. Right after this, you read the story of the the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and wants to know what else I need to do. And Jesus says, you need to sell all your stuff and give it to the poor and come follow me. Verse 23, Matthew 19, 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty 
Will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven? Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Now, we're talking about entering the kingdom, and Jesus says, Here is a class of people who almost certainly will not enter the kingdom. You talk about the camel going through the eye of a needle means this is nearly impossible. The disciples, when they hear that, they're shocked. They had some different views on wealth than Jesus did. But wealth is a problem here because we don't want to give it up. We're stubborn about it, in fact. We'll argue about it. We'll justify it. We'll tell all the things that we can do with it, all that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, we like it. And we don't want to give it up. And Jesus hears in that idolatry, lack of commitment, stubbornness, and a threat to him. Jesus is the one who says you cannot serve God and money. You can't do both. And here he says it's virtually impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom because there are things that we can be committed to more than Jesus. And when that happens, we won't enter the kingdom. It is only the committed. Now, that is a hard truth. But I don't know any other way to say what Jesus is saying here. If we want to talk about entering the kingdom, there is a commitment level that is not negotiable. We don't make it up. I don't get to relax it for us. It is instead the commitment that says there will be no rivals to Jesus in my life. And it leaves us with a question. What will our commitment to Jesus mean that we have to give up? What areas of our lives are we going to have to allow Jesus to operate in? Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what will my persecution look like? Will I stay faithful through it? Paul tells some early disciples that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. What tribulations am I enduring and am I committed? Peter says that those who add to their faith will receive an abundant entrance into their kingdom. What am I adding to my faith? How am I showing my commitment by growing? I've been studying these passages pretty intensely over the last week. Talking about the kingdom, who enters the kingdom. And there is not a single passage that I have looked at that speaks favorably of a partial or a lazy or a general commitment. You know, here's somebody who did just enough to get by, and they kind of snuck into the kingdom. It is instead this call to commitment. So who enters the kingdom? The humble do, the obedient do, the committed do. So what's happening here? I, I want to sum all of this up for you. I believe that what's happening is Jesus is challenging assumptions. He is challenging the assumption that we're right because of our family or because of our location or because of our connections, just like the Jews tended to do. He's challenging the assumption that we're right because we say and do certain things, even if we also sometimes say and do things that are, that are evil. He's challenging the assumption that 
that being a disciple and entering the kingdom is a, a one-time thing. You know, in the denominational world, this would mean something like you sign a decision card. We don't really talk that way. What we say is, yeah, I know this and this and this, but you know what? I've been baptized. Might have been a long time ago. There might not be any change in my life. I might not be doing this or that, but you know, hey, leave me alone. I've been baptized. As if the commitment only has to have that one step. Or maybe we say something like, you know, at least I found me a good church, found me the right church, as if the local church is what takes us to God. And those assumptions are still with us, those ones that Jesus challenges. They are still with us and keep us from seeing the fact that Jesus is teaching us we will stand before God and be evaluated based on our own humility and our own obedience and our own commitment. And the question for each one of us this morning is, how does that look for you? How is your humility and obedience and commitment? Are you willing to admit that you're not right on your own? That you can be wrong, in fact, that you frequently are wrong, and that you need to change your life to follow Jesus, even if that change is difficult? Are you willing to obey God, even if other people don't? to take his commands seriously, even when other people don't? And are you willing to keep that commitment when things are hard, when people are ugly to you, when you have to give up things that you love? Whatever is required, those are the people that enter the kingdom. And the question is, is that going to be you? That is a challenging study. And I pray it will challenge us to deeper humility and obedience and commitment to the Lord. It might be there is someone here who has never made that commitment, who is not a disciple of Jesus, and you're thinking about the challenge that he has brought. Jesus came, lived as a man, died as a perfect sacrifice so that your sins could be taken away. We reserve this time in our service to encourage you, if you are not yet a disciple of Jesus, to think about your response to him. And if we can help you to be right with God, to turn away from your sins, be baptized into Christ, have those sins washed away. This is the time when you can make that known. We can help you. If you have that need or any need that we can help you with, please come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.